Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs, and I am your host, Alex Mellion. Today, using the ADA's Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, we will analyze one of the Council's most popular ethical moments. Today's question is posed by Dr. Renee Pappas in a previously published article from August of 2021. As an experienced general dentist with more than 30 years in practice, one of the most difficult ethical issues I have been concerned with lately is when I evaluate a new patient for either comprehensive oral health care or a second opinion, and I discover multiple examples of recently rendered treatment that are not acceptable and will need to be replaced. The process of informing the patient about the inadequate treatment is difficult. This dilemma becomes even more complicated when the colleague who placed the restorations is an experienced oral health care provider whom the patient trusted and had built a good relationship with over many years. What are the ethical considerations when explaining to a patient that treatment by an experienced colleague needs to be replaced? Dr. Pappas, uh, thank you so much for joining the show to discuss your Ethical Moment article today. Uh, We have a very special episode today in that we are live and in person in Chicago. We're currently sitting on the 22nd floor of the ADA building and just completed the first day of our, our summer CEBJA meeting. So it's wonderful to get to do this in person. Uh, tell us about yourself and where you practice. Thanks for having me, Alex. This is a privilege and an honor to participate in. I am a general dentist practicing for 34 years in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, a town called Arlington Heights. I am married to a dentist who's a classmate. He's an orthodontist. My son recently completed orthodontic training and is practicing now. My brother-in-law is a dentist, general dentist, and my sister is a dentist as well. Interestingly, I am a first-generation college student in my family. I'm a daughter of immigrants from Greece, and it's been an honor to, to be a professional. My parents' legacy was amazing, and I'm very grateful to them for leading my sister and me in the right path education-wise. And Dr. Pappas, thanks for giving us that background. Uh, If you could tell me, why did you select dentistry as a career path, or um, what made you choose dentistry? Growing up, I was really, um, really, I I had an affinity for science, and uh, that, that held true in high school. Uh, I went to a technical high school in Chicago that required us to have different shops as part of our curriculum, which included wood shop, electric shop, uh, drafting, both architectural and machine drafting. Everything we did involved our hands. And starting out in college, I I think my path was going to be in medicine, and I discerned uh, what my choice was between medicine and dentistry. And ultimately, I tell my patients now, I think I chose dentistry because I liked working with my hands and I was still using science in my career. So that is mainly why I chose dentistry. Uh, in addition to that, I, I followed my sister's path who was two years ahead of me in school. So that was a logical uh, path for me too, but I have no regrets and it really helped me maintain a, a work-life balance over my entire career. No, Thank you for sharing that. I know as we've been doing a number of these podcasts, everybody has a different, a different why or a different reason. It's been really, really cool and neat to figure out Um, kind of how everybody ended up where they are now. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, This article highlights a difficult discussion that dentists have to have at times. Um, How do you go about framing the discussion with a patient when you know you have to deliver difficult news when the treatment, uh, you notice that something needs to be redone? Um, I pride myself on the relationships I have with my patients. It's important for me to communicate to them 
that I would like to treat them as if they were family members or close friends. Uh, it's based on honesty and um, the ADA code of veracity where I'm telling them the truth. I try to focus on the work itself rather than commenting on the provider who, who rendered the treatment to the patient, whether it's recent or older treatment, uh, in order to focus on giving the patient a synopsis of what needs to be replaced if, if that's the case, uh, basically defining um, good treatment versus inadequate treatment um, and ex trying to explain from an education standpoint what that means and giving them the option of how they want to move forward with how to remedy that issue. No, I think that's a great approach. And at times it's hard to um, approach it, but I think patients really appreciate when you're just straightforward and honest like that. Um, getting into a little bit of the details of it, um, when you feel that that treatment's suboptimal, how do you approach it um, with the other professional? Do you leave it up to the patient to decide if they're just going to take care of it, or do you recommend calling the previous provider if they're not somebody in your office, um, or do you just recommend the patient go back and talk to them, um, or just opt to have you handle it moving forward? Um, this is a difficult question to answer. Uh, I haven't really had the experience of calling the previous provider directly. It's been a suggestion if a patient asks me directly, should they call their previous dentist and talk to them about it? And I, I offer uh, as much good advice as possible in that scenario. Um, my experience has been with cases that a patient opts not to go back to that provider. However, if it has to do with cost uh, repercussions, sometimes they are concerned that their insurance benefits will not cover a replacement uh, restoration. And in that case, I try to guide them to contact that provider and have a discussion with them. There is also a method through our state society to um, offer them options for mediation through the, the local component dental society. And that's always a good option also. And, and sometimes I know patients don't know the difference between the state board or um, peer review. Um, many states have peer review or either the local or state component. Um, do you have any experience with that or know how the process works in Illinois? Um, if, if a patient from Chicago, let's say, because I'm part of Chicago Dental Society, which encompasses not just Chicago proper, but all the suburban counties. Um, so there are actually nine branches that are part of our local society, which consists of approximately 4,300 members. Wow. So it's a very That's large a, component yeah. society. So if a patient in the Chicago area, and it's one of my patients, has an issue and they're kind of going along the path of considering maybe a lawsuit eventually, um, I would try to guide them in this situation and we have to direct them to the website for Illinois State Dental Society um, in order for them to have a form that they fill out online that will help them go through the process of mediation, which actually feeds them into the local society for that. And I actually participate on the mediation commi uh, committee for my own branch. Okay, great. And I know, like I said, there's a lot of dentists don't know that that's an option. Um, and sometimes a, a very good way to go about resolving an issue if you're not able to yourself. And I think that's a great service that organized dentistry provides. Yeah, what I will comment on is it's not an easy process. You have to be able to communicate well on the phone to the mm -hmm. patient and the provider. And ultimately, you have to communicate to that patient. The goal is really to reach a compromise, mm -hmm. and um, you have to kind of facilitate the compromise. So you have to try to work with both 
the dentist and the patient in a manner where you're not using disparaging words. You're trying to help them make a decision which will be a compromise and possibly remedy the issue without having to go the legal route. Correct. And I think, like you had said, just avoiding those disparaging comments is typically is a great way to go in that you're not creating a further issue. And sometimes legally, um, that can be come up as well. And obviously, this is not legal advice, but something to consider when, when those issues come up. I, talking before the podcast, I know that you had said that you've practiced in um, not as a solo practic- practitioner, but in different group practice settings to some degree. Um, going along the lines of work that has to be redone, how do you approach it um, if, the, if another provider in your practice had uh, done the work and then you see that patient for a follow-up? Do you normally reschedule them with the other provider or do you take care of it yourself? And th- there could be a lot of semantics there, but I feel that's an important question. Sure. Um, what, what I'll answer is I've been in practice 34 years, 27 of which have been in the same practice. So it's a group practice consisting of a couple of other general dentists. We previously had a periodontist as part of our practice that is no longer with us. But um, I've been an associate my entire career by choice, uh, yet I, I own it in the sense that I always consider it my own practice, even though I don't own it technically. Um, so honestly, um, there have been situations where maybe a colleague in the practice that's practicing simultaneously with me um, provided some care that might need to be redone. In that case, I discuss it with them firsthand and discuss it with the patient and sometimes follow the patient's lead. The patient may let me know they don't want to see that provider again, which again, I never go to the disparaging scenario mm-hmm. Um to, to badmouth that person because they're my colleague. Um, if the patient refuses to see them, then usually they're given the option to see another provider to provide the treatment. And usually it's rendered at no cost. And okay. that's an agreement that's made collectively with the providers and the patient. Great. And, and on that um, read, redo issue, and I know I'm a lot asking a lot of questions, but I think it's a, a topic a lot of dentists have, just how it's handled in other practices. Is there a certain line where in every restoration or is different, but where you say this has been done within a year, we'll take care of it at no cost, or it's three years old, or do you have a a relative line that you look at? And I know insurance can play into this a little bit, but. Sure. Uh, In my own uh, case, I would say typically if it's a year or less, I honor usually free of charge or at a very Mm -hmm. reduced cost. It actually happened earlier this week where a restoration I placed needed to be redone and I offered it at basically no cost to the patient with the qualification that if there was an issue with it again, that a crown would be needed for this particular scenario, basically because the margin of the composite was at an area that's difficult to bond to, et cetera. So um, very forthright with the patient and honest in all scenarios, and they appreciate that every single time because I'm not trying to pass it off as something um, that I'm gonna let go because I know it's gonna turn into something bigger for the patient and that's what I don't want to happen. No, and I think that's, you're exactly right. Just being forthright about it, as we've talked about in previous episodes, is a a great approach. Um, Getting towards the end of the article, you you quote the code and discuss, or the ADA code, and discuss respecting the position of trust inherent in the dental-patient relationship, in which you've already talked about a little bit. But what does this mean to you, and why do you feel like it's important for the profession? Um, For me, being a a CBJA member, this is my third year of four on CBJA, Prior to that, honestly, I wasn't as aware of the ADA code. I knew it existed, 
but I didn't really refer to it on a regular basis. Now it's really, it's, it's in my wheelhouse. I, it, I use it as my guidepost for everything. And not to say that I read it every day or anything like that. I, you know, I'm not going to exaggerate um, that. However, it's something that I refer to in, in a lot of situations to help me um, stay grounded as a dentist and stay honest. It's my conscience, and I think um, each member of the ADA should be aware of its importance. Yeah, and I would agree. I remember being in dental school, and as a new dentist, you get exposed to it, but something that you don't always think about, and uh, being a member on this committee as well, is it's brought a lot a light to how important it is and how it really can guide a lot of decision-making that um, keeps the profession upheld to the standard that it is. Um, in, in regards to pra- practicing ethically and to the ADA code, um, what advice would you give to a recently graduated new dentist? I think the the main advice I would give is kind of what I mentioned earlier in the talk. Um, always treating your patient as if they're your family member mm-hmm. and using the, the ADA code to guide you in that respect um, is so helpful. Um, I always think about, is this something I would do for my mom or dad or my sister? Um, and if, if the answer is no, I, I take pause and reflect on it again and make sure that I'm doing the right thing for the patient. It's all about honesty, veracity, um, and giving the patient options and making sure we communicate well to them so that they understand the treatment and what that involves. And if they choose not to do the treatment, what that involves also. And with that, not not to do the treatment, um, in the article towards the end, again, you, you talked about if the patient um, opts not to do treatment, um, how do you normally approach that in that, do you say, tell the patient that this really needs to be redone? Um, have you dismissed patients from the, your practice with that? Or what approach do you normally take when patient says, I don't really want to redo that. I'm, I'm happy with how it is. It's a difficult situation. Um, we have to make sure we communicate what the, the possibilities are if they opt out of the treatment. In, in the case of the article where I mentioned uh, faulty crown margins where there's evidence of decay already, the patient has to be made aware that if they opt out of treatment, which is replacement in this case, um, what that will mean uh, going forward. And usually it involves way more treatment later if they opt out of the, the necessary treatment. I do mention to them, this is your decision ultimately, but as a professional, I wanna give you my advice uh, as a dental professional. And um, I, I haven't really had a situation where I've had to dismiss the patient. However, in some cases, there is, there is a, a form that they have to fill out okay. um, defining that they refuse treatment okay. that was recommended. No, and I think that's a great approach just to be, so it's very clear as to what was discussed and absolutely it's a great, a great idea and a great way to go. And then lastly, do you have any final thoughts to share about this article or anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, I think ethics are the most important thing in dentistry. Uh, we, we really pride ourselves as dentists on continuing education. And in many cases that involves techniques of things, uh, procedures that we're doing and that we wanna improve our skills and things like that. But we should keep in mind that our ethical education is just as important and keep that in the forefront of everything we do as far as we are dental professionals. Yeah. Thank you. This has been a, a wonderful conversation and thank you for taking the time and. I'm excited for day two of our meeting tomorrow, but it's been great to sit down and talk about these few points. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate your time, and I'm really happy to participate. 
A final note about the episode. Please see the show notes for a link to the original article and stay tuned for future episodes. At the close of the episode, continue listening to hear the sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct pertinent to the original Ethical Moment article. Thank you for keeping ethics at the forefront of the dental profession and join Sibja as we continue to solve dental dilemmas. This article discusses all five sections of the ADA's principles of ethics and code of professional conduct. These sections are as follows. Section one, patient autonomy or self-governance. The dentist has a duty to respect the patient's rights to self-determination and confidentiality. The principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to treat the patient according to the patient's desires, within the bounds of accepted treatment, and to protect the patient's confidentiality. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include involving patients in treatment decisions in a meaningful way, with due considerations being given to the patient's needs, desires, and abilities, and safeguarding the patient's privacy. Section 2. Non-malfeasance, or do no harm. The dentist has a duty to refrain from harming the patient. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to protect the patient from harm. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include keeping knowledge and skills current, knowing one's own limitations and when to refer to a specialist or other professional, and knowing when and under what circumstances delegation of patient care to auxiliaries is appropriate. Section 3. Beneficence, or do good. The dentist has a duty to promote the patient's welfare. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to act for the benefit of others. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligation is service to the patient and the public at large. The most important aspect of this obligation is the competent and timely delivery of dental care within the bounds of clinical circumstances presented by the patient, with due consideration being given to the needs, desires, and values of the patient. The same ethical considerations apply whether the dentist engages in fee-for-service, managed care, or some other practice arrangement. Dentists may choose to enter into contracts governing the provision of care to a group of patients. However, contract obligations do not excuse dentists from their ethical duty to put the patient's welfare first. Section 4C, Justifiable Criticism. Dentists shall be obliged to report to the appropriate reviewing agency as determined by the local component or constituent society instances of gross or continual faulty treatment by other dentists. Patients should be informed of their present oral health status without disparaging comments about prior service. Dentists issuing a public statement with respect to the profession shall have reasonable basis to believe that the comments made are true. Section 4C1, Meaning of Justifiable. Patients are dependent on the expertise of dentists to know their oral health status. Therefore, when informing a patient of the status of his or her oral health, the dentist should exercise care that the comments made are truthful, informed, and justifiable. This should, if possible, involve consultation with the previous treating dentist or dentists in accordance with applicable law to determine under what circumstances and conditions the treatment was performed. A difference of opinion as to preferred treatment should not be communicated to the patient in a manner which would unjustly imply mistreatment. There will necessarily be cases where it would be difficult to determine whether the comments made are justifiable. Therefore, this section is phrased to address the discretion of dentists and advises against unknowing or unjustifiable disparaging comments against another dentist. 
However, it should be noted that where comments are made which are not supported and therefore unjustified, such comments can be the basis for the institution of a disciplinary proceeding against the dentist making such statements. Section 5. Veracity or Truthfulness The dentist has a duty to communicate truthfully. The principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be honest and trustworthy in their dealings with people. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include respecting the position of trust inherent in the dentist-patient relationship, communicating truthfully and without deception, and maintaining intellectual integrity. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice and stay tuned to Siebja Decode's Dental Dilemmas.